This episode is sponsored by World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. Hey, Dungeon Crawler. Thanks for tuning in to our episode this week. But guess what? Did you know there's even more that you could be listening to? If you head over to our Patreon, you can get access to behind-the-scenes content, hearing more of the discussion before and after the show, and even comments in the middle that didn't make it into the final cut. Thank you so much for your support, and keep being great. This is Daniel. This is Krebs. This is Alfin. This is Matai, the other Krebs. And you're listening to the greatest geek podcast out there, Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have one of our favorite guests on the show, author David J. West. He is responsible for many great Weird West stories, Conan-esque type barbarian stories, and some really interesting new stuff coming down the road, which we'll talk about tonight, plus uh, writing and cryptids and all sorts of fun stuff. But more importantly, I want to I want to throw something into the very beginning of this episode. If you really enjoy this conversation and are a fan of the 1983 film <laughs> Troll, David will be joining us at Salt Lake Fan X when we talk about Troll for its 40th Ooh. anniversary. So right. he's a huge fan uh, of the show. And unfortunately, Krebs is not here uh, because he would be uh, just excited to talk to David about this. But he will you know be joining us say. on that panel. Yeah, what? He would say, this is epic. Yes, <laughs> that's what he would say. So um, just throwing that out there. We're going to have lots of fun. But this is going to be uh, it's gonna be more fun talking about writing and, and the wonderful books uh, that David writes. So thanks for coming on the show again. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. So what? let's just start kind of start with the Weird West stuff. Um, before we jump into the the newer stuff you're writing, what is it about the Weird West, you know, and the, the style of books that you write that got you interested in going in that direction as a writer? It's one of those things where I didn't see it coming. I I didn't see it. I mean, I've been fascinated by Western stories. I I have a lot of Western movies I love. I mean, I've always loved you know the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and old John Wayne movies. And, and then I read a lot of Louis L'Amour stuff, but I never, I didn't really expect that it was something I was going to work on. Cause when I was a kid and I was first throwing my hand at writing, I was usually trying to do really crappy epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, I was fascinated uh, with, you know, short pulpy stories and that no one had completely tackled doing Porter Rockwell stories, the infamous, gunfighter lawman slash slash outlaw the way i wanted to read them so i started to write some stories that i wanted to read and it just really went down the weird west vein of you know kind of that american myth of the lawless wilderness and people having guns and a horse and discovering what was out there that maybe only the indians had seen or anything and and America is so rich for our own mythology that I think that's kind of where I come at it is different stories that you always hear about somebody that went prospecting up this way and disappeared or some lost treasure or some massacre. And I just love diving into that American myth. 
That is so cool. You mentioned uh, pulp, you know, pulpy novels and stories, and it just struck a thought in me about how much uh, pulp fiction, not the movie, the noun, uh, has influenced literature uh, and other entertainment media in America. If you think back, because a lot of the pulp stuff was westerns, um, and of course there was romance, but also there was sci-fi. Uh, and so you look at the, the stuff that was uh, would be considered pulp. That's where we got Tarzan from. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pulp was Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. Uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, really shaped and established the tropes we talk about today. This is what makes sci-fi sci-fi and not fantasy. A lot of it was, a lot of those rules were determined back in the days when it was just part of the pulp stories getting published out there. So it always amazes me how you talk to Isaac Asimov or uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, Heinlein, um, and a lot of them were influenced as kids reading these pulp stories, kind of like what you were describing. Yeah, there's always, you know, the thing I love about pulp is the action keeps it rolling. It keeps it moving Mm -hmm. because it's got to, it's about entertainment. And, you know, we could talk about anything we want, but you got to entertain me with that story. You got to keep it rolling, something happening, something exciting, some good thrills and chills. And that's, that's what I love about pulp is it's, it's moving. Absolutely. So you're saying it it moves and stuff like that. Where do you get a lot of your inspiration for the stories from? I mean, other than, you know, the amazingness that is for Rockwall, I mean, some of even just the actual accounts that there are, seem larger than life but you take that and you just run with it so where does some of that inspiration come from because you also in some cases make like the cthulhu and lovecraftian lore into that yeah i i've played with uh adding some lovecraftian elements to my weird western stories i mean sometimes i use just local local legends ghost stories and ghost monsters but i've I, I kind of couldn't resist throwing in a little bit of Lovecraftian eeriness for some of the series, um, specifically the Cowboys and Cthulhu series. And that for me was just fun with uh, Lovecraft usually had very cerebral characters that would witness something and they'd go mad and they were professors yeah. and they were horrified and they couldn't even describe what they were seeing. And so I really like the idea of somebody that's more salt of the earth. That's like a damn squid monster (laughs) (laughs) and would, and would rather face some, some horrific thing and fight it. Even if he thinks he's going to lose. I I like that indomitable spirit. And that's a little more of what I got from my favorite writer, Robert E. Howard, because he wrote some Lovecraftian stories too, but he usually had more of a action man facing one of those nameless horrors and i i tend to gravitate more towards the action hero aspect rather than the guy that gets freaked out and driven mad yeah no i and i like that version of it i mean i've read most of the lovecraft stories and you're right a lot of it is you know like the color purple yeah dad out in the woods sees the color then starts going bad and crazy and Fantastic film with Nicolas Cage because he's perfect for that role. But um, <laughs> you really don't get a lot of sense from it. Whereas, you know, you throw in uh, an action star character where he's going after whatever's coming af- after him and, you know, shooting guns and stuff like that. It 
it just pushes the story along. Like you don't have to wonder and think too much. You just enjoy the ride. Yeah, and it's like I I try to think about how different people would react. How mm-hmm. how do some people deal with different traumas? Because we all get something that hits us, you know. Yes. But and, and we're all different people, so we all face problems different. Something that might really be a trial for me might be easy for you. Something that's easy for you might be really hard on me. And I think that's even if I'm doing what I call pulp fiction, where it's got to have action and movement, I I still like to think about the characters as real people mm-hmm. and how do they deal with it. And with Porter, I feel like I've really got down how I believe he would really act in a fictitious setting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Have we... So I I think of Tall Tales, Pecos Pete, and uh-huh. um, well, there's just Paul Bunyan and uh, John Henry, all this... Uh, this, this Americana myth, right? And I kind of think that Porter Rockwell, especially the way that you're describing him, you know, this is the way I imagine that he would be and what happens if he faces Cthulhu. Uh, so, I mean, that's tall, basically tall tales, right? So yeah. at what point do you feel like things cross over into uh, this new American mythology as, a, as compared to the legends and myths of uh, the old country, you know, old England, old Greece, Rome, these things they come from are, you know, the, the, a lot of our stories and, and lore come from. When do we get in? How else do we have to be before it becomes Americana lore? That's that's pretty interesting. I like thinking about it in the sense of uh, America is a different land with different histories. And I've heard it described that, you know, America is haunted, especially the Southwest. You know, because we've got those ruins that we don't really know what happened to the Anasazi. And, mm-hmm. and we've got the mound builders out east that we don't have definitive answers for. That's, you know, it's it's mysterious. And there's a lot of theories. And I, I love reading up on all the weird ancient history I can, trying to just juggle what's different. And, you know, there's there's things that are similar to Europe, but, you know, people have been there trying to write it down for ages. And the difference with America is... Uh, you know, when the Puritans first came here and were living in the, you know, late 1600s, they really did feel like there were specters and ghouls out there and witches and what have you just right across the border in the wilderness that's untamed. There's nobody else out there to, to save you beyond the borders of the village. That's it. There's wilderness. And I think America's always had that wilderness Whereas so much of Europe was tamed and settled and what have you. And I think that kind of makes America a little bit different than at least, you know, a lot of the civilized European area. Because mm-hmm. we haven't spread out everywhere quite yet. And especially hadn't in our own, you know, semi-recent past. Yeah, yeah. And that, that for me, just feels like it gives me a lot to play with. Oh, for sure it does. It does. Now, have you ever thought of, well, I mean, writing a, a character other than Porter that may be investigating, say, like the old Civil War grounds and encountering ghosts or demons or stuff like that? Um, I've played with the idea, but I haven't really set any major work down on that yet gotcha. in a historical sense. Uh 
if we can jump to my latest project that I was co-writing with Dave Butler. Yeah, let's Butler, jump to that. We're, we're setting that in 1975. Okay. Just, we had the idea of how fun it would be to have someone with some modern conveniences, because this is a car story. It's about a car that has a demon in the gas tank. <laughs> nice. And it lets the car do some super mechanical things. This car can go really fast. <laughs> when he wants it to go extra fast instead of nitrous, he'll pour holy water on a black spot in the back seat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we wanted to set it in 1975 for the sake of we've got all our highways and everything, uh-huh. but we're eliminating cell phones. We're eliminating the internet and just having fun with the idea of back then when, uh, you could outrun the radio and get past the law and yeah, have some of that. But at the same time, we're going to have a lot of uh, cryptid and fae type creatures inside the story nice. and dealing with our, our main act, main protagonist is um, trying to solve the mystery of why his sister died. He knows it's tied to the demon in the car, but in the meantime, he's working as a transporter, especially dealing with the, uh, supernatural type things and it's it's been a lot of fun uh butler came up with the name for the main character uh silas uh-huh. <laughs> silas danger and <laughs> it's because we were at a party in vegas during the 20 books to 50k writers convention oh yeah and butler just started describing me to somebody and he was saying the name Silas Danger and kind of making some jokes about my driving because he's described me like a bootlegger that I drive like a bootlegger before and I thought that was funny (laughs) and we started talking about it and he's like you know what we should write this and so we outlined it and we've got down a hundred thousand word manuscript that we each Wow. You know, switched off the chapters and things. And that's awesome. We had a lot of fun writing it. I I really enjoyed coming up with stuff that I think will make Dave laugh. And he's done some stuff that's just amazing. And uh, so right now we're just editing that. And that's probably a year out from seeing the light of day, but it's a lot of fun. We're calling it Hell on Wheels. It's awesome. A Silas Danger Thriller. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I have to ask because it's set in 1975, what model of car? Uh, 68 GTO Pontiac. Okay. I, I can, I can I, deal with that. I thought if you were going to deal with the fey creatures and stuff, you'd have a gremlin. Uh, no, 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 I don't know. No. Nah, we wanted, we wanted a really fast muscle car. Yeah. And we were trying to decide which one. And I looked at some of the other cars that have been out there for that era, you know, like the Dukes of Hazards Challenger and our mm-hmm. Dodge Charger. And then, you know, a bunch of the other ones. And we watched Bullet and... Mm-hmm. And just decided, okay, let's let's do that one. Can't go wrong with a '68 Camaro, though. Oh, I like those car. a lot too. Yeah, I used the to GTO have a '72 Camaro. And I never got so many speeding tickets as when I had that. <laughs> so, which kind of you know, as we're talking about this, you are a huge fan of cryptids and yeah, learning about them. Um, you know, you introduced me to David Weather. Uh, yeah. books. Uh, I have several of them on my shelves, and I know you just recently got more. 
Um, what got you into that? I think uh, when I was a kid, I got some book that was like a two-parter. It had like a thing on Bigfoot and a thing on the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. And I just devoured that. You know, it was some little scholastic book fair thing. I don't have it anymore, but, it, you know, I read that thing cover to cover multiple times, just fascinated Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and wanted to know more. And people would say, oh, that was proven to be a fake. And then there's this, there's that. And it really seems like in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, it really seems like a lot of Bigfoot stuff has really exploded, at least online. I see Bigfoot podcasts everywhere. There's hunting Sasquatch shows. And it seems like it's one of those things where a lot more people are feeling comfortable to talk about it and something they've seen. And I unfortunately have not seen one. I want to see one, but I haven't <laughs> yet. But I, I've talked to people that have firsthand to have seen something that they can't explain. And I'm fascinated by that, that there's something out there, you know, the yeah. other that's out there. And so I've I've read a lot of other books on monsters because I've always loved monsters. And the idea that there's something out there just fascinates me. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And I feel like way too many people have seen something that they can't explain for me to think everybody's lying, for me to think yeah. everybody's making it up. But unfortunately, I haven't definitively seen anything like that yet myself. Well, and that is what's really interesting about those books. You know, as I've read several of them, there are tales that go way back. I mean, several hundreds of years. But they all describe almost exactly the same details of those creatures, those different creatures and uh, cryptids that they run into, which is fascinating to me because you would think that it would change over time, but it hasn't. There's got to yeah. be some level of truth uh, to those things. Now let's talk about our sponsor, World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who like to create rich and exciting worlds. With their software, you can create your world, manage your campaign, plan your novel, and wow your players or readers as you make your worlds come to life. You can find them at worldanvil.com, and if you put in the discount code DCR40, you will receive a 40% discount today. Crawlers, we have an incredible opportunity to do some good. In celebration of the 40th anniversary of Kroll, we are holding the Krolltimate charity event. On July 29th, we will be gathering at the Jordan Commons Megaplex in Sandy to gawk at some collectibles, watch the film as a community, and raise some much-needed funds for Primary Children's Hospital in Utah. For more details, keep an eye on our socials or visit DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. Yeah, it's funny to me how many things, like before we called it Bigfoot, people would say it was a wild man or a gorilla. And there was always, yeah. oh, there was this escaped gorilla. And the thing is, I'm sorry, our gorillas are accounted for. We don't have a bunch of escaped gorillas <laughs> that yeah, nobody nobody reported this gorilla escaped from a zoo or a circus. You know, we don't we don't have this dearth of gorillas just escaping and running around. But okay. That was the usual explanation before Bigfoot became a regular thing in the terminology. Okay. And, you know, and an interesting thing about gorillas is that when they were exploring uh, in the jungles of Africa and whatnot, they reported seeing a humanoid creature with this 
thick, coarse hair covering, and people wrote it off as another, yeah, I like to do with a cryptid sighting. This is not real. You just made it up, and maybe it was, maybe you didn't see what you thought you saw. And then eventually they, they captured some, and they saw that there were many of them out there. Uh, and they go, oh, I guess gorillas are a real thing. So perhaps, uh, yeah, giving a little attention to cryptids out there is just a species we haven't uh, cataloged yet. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's been some other things like that. I, I love in the Southwest, we've got tales about the skinwalker. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to people that cannot explain some things they've seen that are along that. So that wouldn't even be an undiscovered animal. That would be something <laughs> bizarre and sorcerous. And so that stuff just... Yeah. fires my imagination as a storyteller that I, I right. love hearing about that. If I can get someone to tell me their experience, oh, I want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I want to come back to that. Real quickly, let's move back to Hill on Wheels uh, and that story. So, because it's set in 1975, you have the GTO. You got, there's not a lot of technology. It's back in a time where you could outrun the cops fairly easy because they didn't have the type of cruisers they have now and and radar guns and so forth. What type of cryptids or fae can we expect to see uh, in this this universe that you guys have created? Uh, we've got trolls. Is okay. there in the highway patrol? Apparently uh-huh. they love puns. Trolls love puns. I didn't I know that until Dave Butler told me. <laughs> There's orcs. We've got bison-headed ogres. Um, did you know that Vegas is run by a vampire? I would not be who's surprised. Kind of, who would get mistaken for Liberace, possibly? Okay. Okay. I like it. I'm liking it. That, you know, it's not the mob, it's vampires. Okay. There's a mysterious blues man who's a mummy. Who runs uh, Memphis? That that's probably a pretty entertaining chapter, I would think. We are mixing that mythic America, driving across America, you know, with the car and the highway, and blending the idea of some of the Fay and things and a Wendigo and what have you into our story. And we probably went a little more over the top, extroverted with the uh, creatures than I would have. On my own, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, that's the creative process of two guys working together yeah. on a book and really bringing it over the top and just making sure it's a fun book. That's the thing. Yeah. That, uh, it sounds exciting. Now, I have to ask is there at least somewhere written in the book where it takes an eight track and pops it into the, the stereo? He's got a stereo that's tuned to hell. So it's okay. only got the hell station. So it's mostly hard rock 75. Okay. And I had to double check to make sure that I didn't was... put on any songs that didn't exist yet. And I, that was something I was especially trying to make sure I, I, I didn't put in any songs that weren't around yet. Yeah. And at the same time, I had to deal with how are we going to get dinged for rights because you can't mention lyrics. But here's the thing. The girl that he picks up loves to sing along, but she gets lyrics wrong. <laughs> so as we're driving and she starts singing about bacon, carrot, biscuits, you know what song I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. that. That's a creative way to get around. Getting yeah, she's, for... she's always singing misheard lyrics. Nice. 
That looked, I'd be I, look forward to reading that. Um, yes. Kind of along the same vein as what you were talking about, though, I do have something to share. Um, I was just going to share that I, I really feel like I need to start a new diet because uh, I feel like there's just too much on my plate right now. Man, really? And we're doing the dad jokes this. now. Well, just, right. just a bit of advice. No matter if you're skinny or fat, old or young, rich or poor, at the end of the day, it's night. Yep. Yeah. Where do we go from there? Oh, I know where we go from there. <laughs> so, because you mentioned it earlier, there was, and mentioned the skinwalker, there was, it was a while ago, but you and Butler, uh, Dave Butler, actually went near Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah, um, we did this last November. We camped there. Yeah. I was hoping we would be creeped out. I was hoping that we'd be there and it would just feel evil, that it would feel eerie, that it would feel spooky and scary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at one time I thought I saw a shadow move in the trees, but that's it. But the thing is, it never felt creepy. It actually felt good. We're there and we're like, this feels great. This feels awesome. It was cold because it was November. Yeah. But it felt good. And we so slept. in the winter, all the cryptids go hibernate, huh? Well, it was chilly, but there wasn't really a lot of snow yet. But it was chilly. And then yeah. in the night, um, we, we went to sleep around the campfire. The campfire was still crackling. And the wind started blowing really hard right in the middle of the night. And we joked that, uh, oh, we must have upset one of the spirits. The only creepy thing that I can say, which is a bizarre synchronicity, is that in the back of my head, when we were talking about going, the idea came to my head about taking a knife and cutting my hand so that blood would drip on the ground. And I don't mm -hmm. do that. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, I don't know. And then Sean, Sean said that the same thought came to him about Dude. doing some kind of blood ritual when we were there. And that's not a thing he does. And then as we're taking the tour, the girl that was giving us the tour that grew up there, we asked her about if there was any weird people that have ever been there. And she's like, oh, there's always some weird people that come and they want to ask if they could do blood rituals. And we're like, whoa, people are <laughs> asking to do this. <laughs> and me and Sean just look at each other because we're like, you know, it's not natural. I don't think about doing a blood ritual. But yeah. something put that into my head. Something put that into his head. And apparently it's been putting it into other people's heads. Interesting. And so that was the one creepy thing I could think about is why did that thought even come into my head? Why? Where did that come from? I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea. There was some weird stuff in that uh, we found this. Somebody had moved some boulders around, and I guess that they talked about it in season three or something, which I haven't even watched. But they did find some boulders that were arranged, and in, there was in even a circular a sight, pattern. Yeah. yeah, and there was even a sight hole where you could look through yeah. and off to the and horizon. We went yeah, to that. That, that was that was interesting. It seems like maybe ancient peoples had done something there, but I don't know what. Yeah, and there was no explanation for any of it. So I did use that as a Porter Rockwell story that's coming out in like September, I think. Okay. In another collection. But uh, my firsthand knowledge was kind of like nothing, nothing. No, 
This I've felt been like more, a great place. I've been to go. more creeped out in the San Rafael Swell than I ever was at Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. okay. All right. I, I've wanted to go to see how it is. You know, Mercer, Merker Cemetery uh, out near Twilla. That place, I went there. New Moon, that place freaked me out. It's one of the few places that I've ever been, I've ever just wanted to leave like immediately. Um, uh, huh. oh, what was his name? Uh, he used to do paranormal investigations. Tom Carr. Yes, Tom Carr. Yeah, he, he talked about it. That was another place that he doesn't like going. And yeah, uh, it's one of the few places that it just creeps me out. I just can't go there. Uh, so I was, you know, I've always wondered, hey, if I go there, am I going to get creeped out? Just can't stand it. But sounds uh, like maybe just so, another... but not for me. Nope. Just seemed like another camp out. It, it seemed better than that. It felt good. It good. felt it felt energizing and nice place. <laughs> I can't explain it. I've been to a ghost town in Montana, Bannock, Montana. That place had a ghost town that had really creepy feelings. It it freaked out my uh my wife, my ex-wife, scared yeah. her. She's like, this is no, this is no good. And then my yeah. boys went into a building. I wasn't with them, but they went into something and they said something thumped like boots across the floor coming at them, freaked them out. And there was nobody, nothing wow. there. Yeah. That's but, see, that stuff like that. Stories like that always fascinate me. And I've always enjoyed paranormal investigation and reading stories. There's so many different stories that exist out there that we just can't explain. Yeah. Um, but is great fodder for stories uh, like you write or several other authors write that you can take these these creatures, these stories, and twist them into a fictional story that is just fun and entertaining and enjoyable yeah. to read. So, you know, we've talked about the Weird West, the new book on the way, which I'm excited for hearing more about it. You also write, because you're a huge fan of Conan the Barbarian, so you have your brutal series, which is very Conan-esque type. Yeah. And it sounds like it's not quite done. No, I think I'm going to write at least one more book in that series just to try and wrap up him getting the kingdom back, because he, he won the kingdom and he lost it, and then it's a struggle to get it back, so... I I want to do one more to just kind of wrap it back up. And that'll be a 10-book series. I mean, a lot of them are shorter novels, but uh, I've had a lot of fun with writing them because it's getting to play in that sword and sorcery sandbox that I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because you, you mentioned early on, you really struggled writing the epic fantasy. I mean, everyone, when they decide, hey, I want to write, I want to write that epic fantasy you found that that wasn't quite your niche is writing this type of series you know this conan type style does that fill that void is that is that feel like more of hey this is more my epic fantasy type style i i'm inclined to think so because it it scratches that itch of the story that i want to tell and it's it's more in bite-sized chunks like uh the first book brutal was I think like 75,000 words. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's not that long. The next one was a little longer, but not a lot. And it was told really episodic. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the ones I've done since then have been a little 
more on the short side, closer to like 60,000 word novels, which are, you know, that that's a shorter novel, you know? Yeah. I think I would have fit in a little better back in time when uh, the paperbacks were king with more <laughs> these little shorty novel types. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I more like that's the... a little more my speed. I don't know, to just do the, the short novel, knock it out, then go do another one. Yeah, more the, like, Louis L'Amour pulp style where they're, they're not super yeah, long. Yeah, that just seems to be my natural, yeah. like, seems to be a shorter book. A lot of the weird westerns I've done have been about 40,000 words, 45,000 words. That's mm-hmm. that they would be Louis L'Amour length if I had them in mass market paperbacks. Yeah, I honestly, I, I don't see where that's a problem. I, I see a lot more authors kind of moving towards that. I think it works. Uh, not only that, you're able to, you were able to put out a whole 10 books and still delivers an epic storyline, even if they aren't the size of Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I I think it's just more my style. That's how I like yeah. to do it. No, yeah, and that's awesome and fantastic. I didn't realize that it... and books at this point. <laughs> uh yeah. cause it's been a while. But that's that's amazing. I mean, 10 books and I mean, how many Porter Rockwell stories have you put out there now at this point? I've kind of lost track of how many stories there are, but you know, there's there's three books out in Cowboys and Cthulhu. There's three books out for uh, the Savant series. Yeah. And then I've got five out for the Dark Trails series. And then I've still got some short stories out there that I haven't collected up yet. Because usually when I get enough short stories, then I, I put them together in one of the other collections to just to kind of have them all together. And, you know, I, I do want to credit you with when we talked at Fan X like two years ago, you mentioned that Saratoga Springs thing. And I'm like, oh, man. I got to incorporate that. And I finally mm-hmm. did and turned that story and that got published in uh, December in Fistful of Demons, a collection with a bunch of Weird West stories. Nice. And so, you know, eventually I'm going to take that story and put it in one of these other collections once I feel like it. I just have to get enough stories to make it worth a book. Well, I mean, that I, just that alone. Okay. So that's 11 books, 10 books from the brutal. That's 21 novels. You know, that's, that's well, fantastic. Some of those, some of those are all short story collections, you know, yeah. cold slither is all short stories. Um, hell Dorado is like two novellas and a bunch of short stories. Yeah. So they're, they're not all, I wouldn't call them all novels, but it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, okay. And then, so then there's not, stuff not I've written. It's unrelated to those too. So, but there, there's definitely a lot of material. So any fans that are looking for something fun, to, to read you know it's not like you've written a couple of books and they're you know they have to wait for the final game of thrones books that's never going to come out you know so they can finish the story yeah i've kind you of have tons of material out there that they can read and most of that you know it sounds like that you know that those story arcs have been completed uh or well brutal will be very shortly uh yeah but most of it has been completed which is fantastic readers love the finished series yeah and you know with the porter stuff it's been a little bit different because there's always a new adventure i get inspired for something else to do because i'm working on one now that i had the idea that from a few different things that comes together and that's how that's how i feel like we do something original is we take 
this piece of something, that piece of something, and blend it your and tell yeah. it your way. And that's the only way it can be original because everything out there has been done, but it hasn't been done your way. Your way or your style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. It looks like we are almost out of time. So where can listeners find your books? Um, Mostly Amazon. I've got a few in a few of the other markets, Barnes and Nobles, um, Audible has at least, you know, the first James Alderdice brutal stories on Audible. And then some of my Porter Rockwells are in collections on Audible. Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter, but I'm on Facebook and Instagram, all that. I have my blog that I've been ignoring. Probably need to go back to someday. Nice. But, yes, I'm around. All right. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, uh, we'll be at Salt Lake Fan X. We'll be on a panel. Uh, talking about Kroll. Um, I'm more than positive he will have a table somewhere there that you can pick up books if you want to get them autographed or if you've already bought books, bring them. He'll autograph them. Uh, he always wears fantastic, amazing jackets to low shows. So uh, <laughs> you you should come every day and get a photo. Uh, he'll probably be wearing something different every day. Um, yeah. Pick up one of his books, even if it's a short story collection or a novel, they're worth the read. It doesn't matter if they're shorter than most novels out there. They are fantastic and completely worth your time. I appreciate that. And Thanks. I, and I just remember uh, from our conversations at Thanex, it was just delightful. So uh, to all of our listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode and talking about cryptids, Weird West, uh, mythologies, or any of this stuff, David is a wonderful conversationalist and he was... Uh, it just gets so you can tell, David, that you get so excited uh, uh, by this. If you really got a passion for the work, uh, and so yeah, uh, I, I'll just second what Daniel said. Uh, make sure to stop by and say hi to uh, David West at uh, the convention or other places you might see him. Well worth talking to. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, folks. With that said, we'll catch you next time. And remember, my nerdlings, to always let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And always remember to be epic. And don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you. Always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.